just don't know what to do with myself Don't know just what to do with myself I'm so used to do Once upon a time, Def Leppard just didn't know what to do with themselves. As the Leps contemplated their first new music of the 21st century and how to approach what would become 2002's 10 or X album, there was uncertainty in the ranks. In 2018, Joe Elliott looked back at that time, shortly after the beginning of the new millennium, and reflected that they were at a crossroads with that album and they weren't really sure. Internally, they were not all going in the right direction. And in a career spanning over four decades, and even with Rick Allen's accident and the death of Steve Clark, Def Leppard, remarkably, have never really been close to splitting up, well, not to the public's knowledge at least. But Joe's words about not going in the right direction hint at what is the default death knell for many bands, the dreaded creative differences. So what did they do to keep the rock band Reaper at bay? And was it the right direction? Well, as we'll soon discover, we can harvest some of our answers from the very song, I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself. However, fear ye not, Def Leppard friends, because as great as she is, this is not Dusty Springfield pod, but the officially unofficial Def Leppard fan podcast, Def Leppard Pod. And in this, the final episode of the grandly titled Season 2, we'll find the answers by chatting about the opening track to the X album. And that song is, of course, now. Let's go. To begin chatting about the song now, we first need to talk about our old friend, context. Because it's when you start considering the context that it becomes pretty apparent why Def Leppard was struggling to know what to do with themselves at this time. Now there's a legal premise called a range of reasonable responses. And what this allows for is that when making a judgement, there isn't necessarily one definitive way in which you would expect an individual to respond to a particular situation but instead that there are a range of reasonable ways in which they could respond. You might not have responded in the same way yourself, but you could at least see the logic in the way that somebody else has responded. For example, imagine I'm sitting here talking to you now, and all of a sudden I hear an ice cream van rock up outside, enticing me to buy a lovely ice cream. On one hand, I could stop what I'm doing and go outside and buy myself an ice cream, because... Who doesn't love ice cream? But on the other hand, I could stay where I am, look down at my podcast belly and consider my sedentary lifestyle and decide, hmm, best not. Two different responses, but both fall within a range of reasonable responses and have some logic behind them. Enough of ice cream. Let's now apply the idea of a range of reasonable responses to Def Leppard and the response or decisions made when approaching each album right from the beginning of the career up until 2002's X. So firstly, on Through the Night, Def Leppard's debut album is made on the same premise as most bands' debut albums. They've been kicking about for a couple of years, have a collection of songs that they've been living with, playing live and know inside out. 
depict the best of these songs, throw them down, and the first album captures the band in this nascent period. It all happens quite organically, and it's a reasonable response to what has come before in those two years. Def Leppard albums 2, 3 and 4 are effectively all approached in the same way to each other. Let's try and improve on what's come before by trying to write better songs, better hooks and enhance production techniques. For all of these decisions, the Leps like the general trajectory that they're on, but are looking for improvements and creating a sound with greater potential for crossover. So that's high and dry, pyromania to hysteria. Album 5 is Adrenalize. So Hysteria sold a bazillion albums and was unbelievably successful. So let's more or less try and do the same thing again. A reasonable response, I'm sure you'll agree. Album 6, if we're looking just at brand new studio albums, is slang. At this point, the musical landscape's changed completely. The sound of 80s hard rock is no longer the sound of choice. So better try something different and in keeping with the current sounds. Now, you might not agree with what the Leps did and preferred something in the vein of Hysteria or Adrenalize, but you can see that their decision falls within a range of reasonable responses for the times. What they do with slang makes sense. Album 7 is Euphoria. So slang doesn't do very well commercially, although both you and me know it's an amazing Def Leppard album. So as it comes to the end of the 90s, they think, let's revert back to what is considered the classic Def Leppard sound. And again, you understand the decision that they make. You may have wanted them to continue along the same track as slang, but you can see why they chose not to, trying to get that commercial success again. This then brings us to the turn of the millennium and how Def Leppard choose to respond to the public and critical reaction to the Euphoria album and the musical environment at the time. All of a sudden, finding a response that falls even just within a range of reasonable responses is much more difficult when you consider that the band have been making these types of decisions for over 20 years and now with different levels of success. The ATEC straightforward decisions building on success of the previous album. The 90s begins with a decision to maintain that success, followed by two albums which make a conscious effort to be distinctly different in style to the album before. It's all perfectly reasonable. However, the new millennium and how to approach X is the first point at which the band are left scratching their heads. This comes in part because neither 1996's slang nor 1999's Euphoria, both of which sound very different, have reached the commercial heights and success of Def Leppard in the 80s and the early 90s. Taking the same approach to Euphoria doesn't seem to be reasonable, and returning to the approach of slang doesn't seem to be a reasonable response either. It's a blank canvas, and it's difficult to know where to start. Or is it? I want you to have a listen to Joe and Phil talking about X just as it comes out in 2002. And as you'll hear, the perception of the situation that they find themselves in is very different to what Joe says in 2018. What Joe considers uncertainty and a lack of direction about this time as he speaks in 2018 is viewed in 2002 much more positively as freedom and an absence of restrictions. There's always a bit of a reaction against the last album you've done. And the last album, Euphoria, we made a conscious effort to make it sound like Def Leppard. 
like classic Def Leppard, you know, from high and dry to adrenalized. So with this record, it was very natural. We didn't have the, the stipulations and rigid kind of things that we did on some of the other albums, you know, and with slang, we tried to not sound like Def Leppard. We avoided the big backing vocals and um, stuff. With this one, we didn't worry about it so much and we didn't, you know, we didn't make the boundaries. You know, we used the backing vocals where we thought they were necessary. We used the harmonies. We weren't ashamed of, of putting anything in there. And we weren't ashamed of doing stuff like real drums on some tracks and programmed drums and other stuff and, and using the technology to our advantage, you know. We just approached this record with a, a totally open mind. You know, we were writing songs just for the hell of writing them. We weren't restricting, or we can't write a song a certain way because it doesn't fit the format. There was no format to fit. We were making it up as we went along. Everybody sees us as a rock band, but we've always listened to more than just rock. And we've brought those elements into the music. And, and it's just a little bit more obvious, I think, on this one, because it's a bit, little bit more radical when we've done it. So as you'll hear, Joe and Phil explain that with slang, they restricted themselves to trying to not sound like Def Leppard. And then in the following album, Euphoria, they restricted themselves to the classic Def Leppard sound. However, their approach to X was not to place any parameters on how that album should sound, with the exception of expanding beyond rock music and leaning towards a pop sentiment. So, two very different views on the making of X between 2002 and 2018. It seems it's a thin line between complete freedom and aimlessness. And although I'm sure the 2002 view we just heard is tinged with having to positively promote a new album, it is clearly possible to legitimately have these two opinions when they're 16 years apart. So whether you want to consider it as freedom or a lack of direction, this is important context for why a song like Now is born. But before we carry on, a little bit more context. Context number two. Now and the X album is released 22 years after Def Leppard's first album. Take any band that you like who exist or existed into a fair decade and see what they were doing 22 years into their career. All bands have peaks and troughs and with some notable exceptions, most bands aren't at their creative peak 20 years in. For artists spanning four decades or more, it seems likely that 20 years is the equivalent to a seven-year itch. So take the Rolling Stones, for example, the rock and roll band who were the poster boys for longevity. In 1986, 22 years after their first album, they released the album Dirty Work. Now, if you're not a die-hard Rolling Stones fan, do you know it? Can you name any of the songs off it? Well, me neither. And it's safe to say... Very few Rolling Stones fans will be putting that album in their top 10 favourite Rolling Stones albums. Let's take another example. The Beatles didn't last for decades, but Paul McCartney has. And 22 years after the first Beatles album, his solo album, Press to Play, was his poorest selling album that he had been involved with ever at that point. Now, Leopard friends, don't worry. All this negativity isn't a prelude to Def Leppard trashing the song now. As you'll soon find out, Def Leppard is a huge fan of the song now and considers it one of the ex-album's successes and highlights. However, all this background does serve to illustrate that if you're a multi-decade spanning artist, then around the 20-year mark is often the time when the general public's ears and eyes aren't focused on you anymore and you can be forgotten or lost in the crowd. 
and musical artists are all too well aware of the public's interest and appetite for their music at any given time. And the final piece of the context puzzle for thinking of the song now is the very dawn of the new millennium. And it's easy to forget, but leaving behind the 1900s and moving into the 2000s was a big deal. There was a worldwide sense of this being a big step and a big change. And with that focus on change becomes an inevitable feeling that we as people should make changes too. It was like New Year's Eve and the need for New Year's resolution on steroids and writ large. However, this sense of change wasn't all positive, like Prince said it would be, where we could party like it was 1999. And as we saw Jennifer Lopez and friends doing in the video to Waiting for Tonight, with its beautiful people and Millennium New Year's Eve party, and green lasers robbed from Def Leppard's Promises video just months earlier, no, there was ominous stuff too on the horizon of the Millennium, and much to be worried about. Just listen to the BBC's upbeat coverage of the countdown to the millennium as it approaches in just half an hour. Now, the latest on the millennium bug with Peter and Philippa. Indeed, and Gabby, we mustn't forget that with all this excitement going on, there are some very, very worried people all over the world. The millennium bug, has it struck or hasn't it? 25, 35 minutes from now, we'll know what's happening in this country, what's happened over all the rest of the world. Those bugs are going to crawl all over our computers and make the planes fall out of the sky. Are they doing it or not? Well, now let's look at our bug watch map. Here it is. And the big threat really seems to be in Japan. Nothing much has happened in Southeast Asia. But when you get to Japan, the bug seems to have struck, possibly struck in two places, two really rather serious incidents uh, at Ishikawa and Onagawa, both of them nuclear power plants. At Ishikawa, and the radiation monitoring system has failed uh, just outside the actual nuclear reactor itself. That happened at midnight. It hasn't been put right. They don't know whether it's bug-related. Bloody hell, according to the BBC, we were all going to die in a plane crash or die from radiation poisoning at the stroke of midnight as we crashed into the millennium. And it was all down to one thing. The millennium bug. Remember that Def Leppard, friends? As a brief refresher, this was the name given to the problem, which arose because computers had been programmed to record dates in the 1900s only, and would be unable to distinguish between dates in the 1900s and the 2000s. For example, the 17th of January 1922 would be undistinguishable to the computer brain from the 17th of January 2022. Computers would melt and we'd all die, or something like that. But the good news is that the nerds fixed it and we've all lived in a land of milk and honey ever since with absolutely no worldwide disasters to ever worry about. Yay! But more importantly, how the Millennium Bug was fixed gives us the key to how Def Leppard would look to fix their own problem of the 2000s. Business is usually about competition, but right now it's about collaboration. The Millennium Bug will affect every business in the UK. Because it doesn't matter what business you're in. You need to be in the business of getting ready. Act now. Call 0845-601-2000 for your free action pack. To fix the Millennium Bug, programming of all computers had to occur. They needed to be made fit for purpose for the 21st century. And businesses, whatever businesses they were, had to prepare and collaborate. 
In a period of uncertainty and a perception of the need to change to be fit for purpose in a new era, this is exactly what Def Leppard did to try and fix their own millennium bug. They reprogrammed and they sought to collaborate. In the X album, Def Leppard collaborates with three different sets of outside writers. And when the idea of outside writers was put to the band, Joe was very clear, and I quote, I was completely not cool with it, because we were capable of writing our own songs, so why would we want to do that? However, he did go on to say, and I quote again, Marty Fredrickson was a good guy. I was much more of a fan of the songs that we did with Marty. Now, every day, they were totally kind of poppy. The track now um, is one of the three songs that we did with uh, producer Marty Fredrickson. Um, as uh, you may know, worked with Jagger, Aerosmith, Ozzy, and whatever. Yeah. Marty Fredrickson, we, he was great, and he's taken it. He's very enthusiastic. He's like, um, he's like an eight-year-old boy. He's just full on all the time. Super talented musician, you know, does the whole thing, sings, plays guitar, drums, everything. So with him, it was great because it was it, totally inspiring. And, you know, that song wouldn't have turned out that way if it had been with someone else. Plus, he co-wrote it with us. I see now as, as one of those uh, great examples of, of meeting of the traditional thing and, and the contemporary sound that we are introducing on this record. It, it's got the elements of, like, you know, the real drums. Um, it's got, I wouldn't say big backing vocals, but it's got powerful BVs on the chorus. I get the opportunity to vocally to express it much more in a singing voice than in a screechy voice, which is kind of something that, you know, I enjoy a lot more, to be quite honest. And that's where there is no change between 2002 and 2018. In that clip you've just heard, Joe and Phil are genuinely infused with the song now and by the input of Fredrickson. Indeed, if you follow the theory that a band will put what they perceive to be the strongest songs up front in an album, it's telling that three of the first four tracks are collaborations specifically with Fredrickson. The opening track and debut single from the X album is Now, track 3 is You're So Beautiful, and track 4 is Every Day. So what exactly does Fredrickson have in his CV that made him the main collaborator in these early songs on the X album? And who is he? He's an American songwriter, producer and musician. And fun fact is that it's his vocal which was used for the lead vocalist in the fictitious band Stillwater in the movie Almost Famous. The main band of a similar-ish ilk to Def Leppard he's worked with is Aerosmith. He's done loads with them, including four songs from their 1997 Nine Lives album and ten from their 2001 album Just Push Play, including the single Jaded. And indeed, Phil says it was that song in particular which attracted him, at least, to collaborating with Fredrickson. Now, Def Pod has had a little exploration of other works that Fredrickson has been involved with, including songs with Motley Crue and former Bush vocalist Gavin Rossendale. And a common denominator is a polished, commercial, mid-paced, simple and easy-on-the-ear style. Within that, songs range from plain dull, if I'm perfectly honest, and uninspiring, to good quality, catchy pop songs. Thankfully for us, now, in Def Leppard's opinion, fulfills the latter category. 
One final tenuous collaborative link between Fredrickson and Def Leppard, beyond his involvement with X, is that he wrote and produced the song Merry Go Round by The Struts. The Struts are a band who have been publicly championed by Joe Elliott, and Joe and Phil themselves collaborated with The Struts, singing backing vocals on their song I Hate How Much I Want You. And in addition, that song begins with an amusing phone call between Strutt's lead singer and Joe, who introduces himself as the King of Leopards. Working with Fredrickson, it's clear what the band like about this particular collaboration. I see now as, as one of those uh, great examples of, of meeting of the traditional thing and, and the contemporary sound that we are introducing on this record. It- As we hear again, it's the meeting of the traditional and a contemporary sound. And at the outset of the millennium, this is ultimately what the Leps are looking for, a contemporary sound. Not to not sound like Def Leppard, which was the aim with slang, and not the classic Def Leppard sound, which was the aim with Euphoria. The aim here is to sound like Def Leppard, but a contemporary Def Leppard who can fit into the musical landscape of 2002 and the new millennium. And you only have to listen to the very beginning of the song to immediately hear that they achieve a sound which is entirely unfitting with what was happening back then. From those very first couple of seconds with the keyboards and electronic pulses and what to these ears sounds like a modern sampled drum pattern and those crisp, clean acoustic guitar strings, this immediately sonically sounds quite different to Def Leppard of the past. However, very soon after that initial beginning and around the 10 second mark, Rick's acoustic drums, the unmistakable sound of Def Leppard's sustained guitars and then the introduction of Joe's vocals plants us firmly back in Def Leppard territory. And when released as a single on the 5th of August 2002, and whilst not a raging commercial success, it certainly outperformed a number of singles from the mid to late 90s in the century before, comfortably making the top 30 in the UK, Canada and the US rock charts. But beyond chart positions and offering an entirely subjective view here, Def Pod was genuinely excited in 2002 to hear this fresh sound of the song now and hoped for more like this on the X album. In 2002, and perhaps indicated by the song title, which places it right here in the present now, it sounded like, well, a very now song. And the video too, which depicts the journey of a 1983 Union Jack Def Leppard tour t-shirt from owner to owner over two decades, culminating in an acquisition of said shirt by the very modern and newfangled 2002 technology of the internet and eBay. Well, that's very contemporary too, and has the look and feel of pretty much all the music videos that were out at that time. It's directed by the Malloy brothers. Look them up and you'll see that they were directing video after video for bands at that time. Wheatus, Alien Ant Farm, Blink-182, White Stripes and so on. 
And while a song successfully achieves a contemporary sound, and aesthetically the music video looks contemporary, Def Leppard does question the wisdom of the directors here for deciding to shine a massive light on the fact that the band had been around for 20 years and whose commercial heyday was back in the 1980s. Does this somewhat undermine the attempt to be contemporary? On the other hand, you may think that it emphasises that they're still alive and kicking and the popularity of the Union Jack t-shirt as it passes from owner to owner right up to the modern day is a metaphor that Def Leppard will always be in demand. Or maybe I'm putting way too much thought into this and I'm talking complete shite. And this is a video that the Malloys banged out before moving swiftly on to the next 5 million that they made that year. If we're applying a criteria of what Joe considers the most successful collaborative songs on X are those which were written and produced by Marty Fredrickson, and which of course include the song Now, then let's take the less successful collaborations to see if we can figure out more reasons why Now works. And before we go any further though, whether a song works or not, and whether it's good or bad, is of course entirely subjective. You may not be a fan of Now, and a song we're going to consider, such as Long Way To Go, and chat about why it may not have been successful, is indeed a huge favourite amongst a good section of Def Leppard fans. But we need to anchor this perception of whether something is successful or not somewhere. So, the opinion of Def Leppard's lead singer, arguably main driving force, and most vocal member, and the fact that he thinks Fredrickson's collaborations work best, is a pretty good basis. You could even say it falls within a range of reasonable responses. So we introduced this episode with the song I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself, sung by Dusty Springfield. The origins of this song are in a similar vein to two other collaborations on X, which are the songs Unbelievable, written by Per Alderheim, Andreas Carlson and Max Martin, and the song Long Long Way To Go, written by Wayne Hector and Steve Robson. They're all similar because they are songs not produced with a particular artist in mind at the point of inception, but are the products of an almost industrial songwriting business where songs roll out of hit factories like cars off an assembly line. And although made popular by Dusty Springfield in 1964, I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself was written in 1962 by Bert Bacharach and Had David in a New York songwriting factory, The Brill Building. Enormous amounts of hits were from The Brill Building, particularly in the late 50s and the 1960s, to the extent that there is known to be a Brill Building sound. And to provide some idea of scale, Renowned songwriters such as Carole King spent time there and describes how many songwriters were squeezed into respective cubby holes. She said, you would go into your cubby hole, sit there and write all day. And of course, in the 50s and 60s, it was normal that the performing pop artists were not the creative minds behind the songs that they sung and played. When it came to the creative process, those artists really didn't know what to do with themselves because they relied heavily on the industry of hit factories. And these were worldwide, Tim Pan Alley being the obvious UK equivalent. 
And of course, the quality of Hit Factory's productions could range from classic songs of the 1960s to the vacuous, sickly sweet pop produced by teams like Stock, Aiken and Waterman in the UK in the 1980s, with their heavy reliance on Australian soap stars. I will, however, allow them Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, which is being rediscovered by a new generation of kids. So hit factories doesn't necessarily mean bad, it can also mean good. But was taking two songs from hit factories a good move for Def Leppard? As mentioned, Unbelievable was written by Per Alderheim, Andreas Carlson and Max Martin. And if you take Max Martin, just one of this Swedish trio, he wrote or co-wrote Britney Spears One More Time, The Backstreet Boys I Want It That Way, and Taylor Swift's Shake It Off and Blank Space, all massive hits and hugely successful on a commercial front. And the song Long Long Way To Go, co-written by Wayne Hector and Steve Robson. Well, Wayne Hector has written songs by Nicki Minaj and One Direction. And if you're from outside the UK and Ireland, this name I'm about to say will probably mean nothing to you. But he also wrote number one singles such as Flying Without Wings for the Irish boy band Westlife, who were inexplicably massive on this side of the Atlantic in the 1990s. So these two songs unbelievable and long long way to go are notably not singled out by joe as collaborations which work best on x yet the writers and producers behind them are phenomenally successful and have a proven track record of making hit after hit after hit the songs written and produced by them however were not hits for Def leopard well why what went wrong Phil, in particular, thought that long, long way to go was guaranteed to be a hit. And 20 years later, it's difficult to put your finger on exactly why it wasn't and why it didn't achieve commercial success when it was released in 2002. Because it seems to tick all of the boxes for radio. One assumption could be that the Leps simply strayed too far away from songs that suit them. As admirable and open-minded as it is to try absolutely anything, it seems that performance songs written by people who write throwaway pop songs for boy bands and teen idols just doesn't quite fit with Def Leppard. Disclaimer here, Blank Space by Taylor Swift is actually a great song. With these songs, the band possibly found themselves in a no-man's land where they were far too mild for Leopard fans who preferred the heavier, rockier elements of the band. And while an eight-year-old kid who likes One Direction might like to hear, for example, Long Long Way To Go, when it's performed by some random men in their 40s, they might not be so keen. Collaboration is a grey area and doesn't always make sense. Mutt Lang is undoubtedly Def Leppard's greatest collaborator, producing and having a co-writing credit on the majority of Def Leppard's biggest hits. However, there is no silver bullet, and he is fallible, being partly responsible for what, in Def Leppard's opinion, is Def Leppard's worst ever song, All Night. Now, Leppard friends, we're on episode 20 here of Def Leppard, and we're 18 months or so down the line, and I have never said a bad word about the Leps, and you know my heart is in the right place. Joe, after all, is my second dad. However, it is fair to say that the band and Mutt shat the bed on that song. But there's another reason why these songs arguably don't quite work for those fans that they don't work for. 
And that reason is suggested in this voice message that you're going to hear now from Def Lep pod listener Johnny LaPena about one of the other Fredrickson collaborations of X, You're So Beautiful. Hi, Neil. This is Johnny de la Peña uh, from Mexico. I'm a producer and sound engineer. I've been um, that for the past 20 years. I've been a musician since I was 14, 15 years old. I'm also, I'm also a high school teacher. I teach an elective course in music production. And regarding the 10 album, I really, really like You're So Beautiful. I think it's a really... Uh, a cool leopard song it has like all the trademarks the big chorus um you know it has something different about it uh in product production wise the verses are very similar to animal or heaven is you can actually listen to the verses they have these palm muted guitars the same as animal and this these big chorus guitar clean like accents similar to animal and it has this different Beatlesque kind of like bridge like with the na na na's and all those things I think it's an interesting album because they kind of like experimented in the same way as slang and uh, you know touching into their like pop sensibilities a little bit more but I think it's an interesting album and it really contributes to the sound of the band and it can like broaden their musical landscape I know this song uh, in particular, well, the whole album actually is not everyone's favorite, but I think production-wise it's very, um, it's a step forward and it definitely helped out for the, you know, following productions where, you know, they had these kind of, we've always been used to the layering and and the leopard sound, but this kind of like a more organic kind of like feel to it uh, kind of started with this album and it continued with the following ones and I don't know, I, I still listen to it quite a bit and... Uh, there's some songs there that I don't really like. I'm not really fond of or anything, but there's a couple of things that I I really like. And from a production standpoint, I always uh, bring this up with my students and with the people I work with. And it's a different kind of album. So as you've heard, Johnny is a producer and a sound engineer, and he knows his stuff. And thanks to Johnny for this contribution here, because it really helped. What particularly interested me about what Johnny has to say is that he lays out how a song like You're So Beautiful has elements of trademark Def Leppard and draws comparisons between this song and hits like Animal and Heaven Is, but he also highlights some of the elements which are a bit different. And this, to my mind, is why it's likely that Joe prefers the Marty Fredrickson songs than the collaborations with the others. And that's because they do bring something new to Def Leppard, but they are still anchored firmly in Def Leppard territory. Why is that the case? Well, the answer seems to lie in the fact that the three songs with Fredrickson, which of course include Now, are co-written with the whole of Def Leppard, while the band have no songwriting credits at all on Unbelievable or Long Long Way To Go, which are written entirely by external songwriters. From both a writing point of view, the song Now works because it is a true collaboration, where the Leps have worked with an outside guy, Fredrickson to write a song for Def Leppard. The import of Rick Allen, Rick Savage, Vivian Campbell, Phil Collin and Joe Elliott is in there, in the song, alongside Fredrickson's input too. However, there's no input from the band other than performance in Unbelievable or Long Long Way to Go. And it's for that reason that a song such as Now strikes the right balance between old and new, between classic and contemporary. We're going to begin to wrap things up now. 
And to do that, I'll first want to bring your attention to a lesser-known collaboration, and quietly sitting amongst the X album at a later point to those well-publicised collaborations that front up the album. To Def Left Pod's mind, now is up there as one of the best songs on the X album. But the very best song, and one I know that a lot of you will like as well, is the song Scar. And this song also has a six co-writer, and that is Pete Woodruff. Now, Pete first worked with Def Leppard on the Adrenalize album, providing additional engineering, and then he was the engineer for Retroactive before moving on to co-produce Slang and Euphoria with the band themselves. And he has a co-production on the majority of the X album too. So, and this is entirely subjective, the best song on X is a collaboration but it's a collaboration with someone who has worked with the band for a decade and at this point is part of the Leopard fabric. And it's notable that Joe says the stuff that they wrote on their own is the real flavour of what Def Leppard is on the X album. And I'm sure when he says this that he would include the songs Gravity and Scar, which feature a writing credit for Pete Woodruff too. And it's this flavour of Def Leppard which is apparent and present in the song now but which notably and interestingly has evolved to taste more and more like Def Leppard since it was first released in 2002. And to illustrate, first have a listen to the end of the album version of Now. Here you can hear how the ambience of the closing part of the song and the repetition of the deep inside of me line is created by what was in 2002 the contemporary sound of keyboards and the production sensibilities of the early 21st century. But now have a listen how the lefts close out the end of the song when they play it live in 2019. Whilst those keyboard ambient sounds are still a present here, by far the key instrument is Viv's almost frenzied outro solo using the staple of classic rock, the wah-wah pedal. In 2019, the Def Leppard contemporary sound is not that of 2002, but of a band no longer chasing hits, but who are much more comfortable in their own skin and their own sound and happy to embrace some rocking guitars. And lyrically, there's nothing complicated about now. It's a simple lyric of attraction and wanting to be with a particular person now. There is one lyric, though, in the song, which perhaps sums up the story of the song itself. And that's the line where it says, It is love you're craving, it's a love worth saving. Now was the song written at a time of uncertainty when the lefts were figuring out how to capture back that love of the wider public and have a hit song. To do they collaborated with a number of people to find a contemporary sound for the new millennium. 
some collaborations the band on reflection may not be considered successful they were the ones written entirely by external writers but for those songs such as now where they had a writing input too they were best able to bridge the gap of classic Def Leppard sound and a contemporary sound and it's testament to a song like now that it still features in set lists today at times and has evolved even more so to have the Def Leppard flavour of today now it seems comes from a love Def Leppard were craving and has definitely been a song that they've deemed worth saving So with me today in a two steps behind section of Def Left Pod, I have my good friend, Michael. Michael, now I'm going to break down the fourth wall and I'm going to suggest it that we might have had this chat before a few weeks ago, but I accidentally didn't press record. So uh, amazing <laughs> conversation, probably one of the best conversations that's ever happened in all of humanity um wasn't recorded but you were very very kindly at 6 30 a.m your time and 11 30 a.m my time agreed to have our chat again so firstly thank you for that and how are you at this early hour of the morning not bad um well first and foremost i want to start by uh, saying i want to speak to your manager <laughs> i know i know i know i know i'll i'll send you his email details <laughs> Good, good. I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'll tell you. Gonna email. <laughs> um, I'm not bad. It's a little um chilly here in the, here in uh, Northeast Ohio. Okay, well, it, it's quite similar here. It's it's cold here as well. So we can uh, we could be cold together, Michael. But you know what we'll do? We'll warm ourselves up by talking about Def Leppard. That's a nice cheesy way in. So just to let everyone know what we are going to talk about. So we're going to talk today about Def Leppard in the 21st century. So when most people think of or they discuss Def Leppard, then the focus is often on like the late 70s, of course, the 80s when they were at their most successful, and then arguably up to around like the mid-90s when slang comes out. And then the conversation tends to drop off from around 2000 onwards, and people don't really talk about Def Leppard from 2000 onwards. It's often not the main points of conversation. However, as we sit here in December and quite cold towards the end of 2021. The 21st century actually takes in half of Def Leppard's uh, career. So today we're going to talk about that second half of their career and whether it deserves the short shrift that it gets or whether there's a lot more quality in the 21st century Def Leppard than maybe people perceive. But before we do any of that, Michael, what we're going to do is going to start off at a sensible point talking to you about Def Leppard. Can you just um, start off by telling us how and when did you become a fan of Def Leppard? Okay, so picture, if you will, a three-year-old Michael, you know, being a typical toddler, you know, getting into things he's not supposed to be getting into, you know, being, <laughs> being the nosy little toddler that you expect. And anyway, so I'm at my mom's uh, sister Tasha's, and now this is where the debate between me and Tasha begins. She thinks it was a, a t- tape cassette, and I'm I am old enough to remember what those are. Even though I'm 26 <laughs> years old, I still remember those. 
and I think it was a CD. So I come across the Hysteria album, and I look at the cover. I'm like, "What's on this?" So it, she, I look, he had it to her. She, I said, "Can you play this?" And she happily obliged, and I was hooked from that from that point on. Oh, fantastic! Okay, so as you said, there, Mike, is what well, you're you're uh, 26. So in terms of you've missed the 70s and the 80s and the first half of the 90s, or certainly when you were around in the 90s, you're obviously uh, very small. So it's quite interesting then that a lot of your journey with Def Leppard actually happens in the 21st century. So it's going to be yep. really interesting to get your take in terms of what that part of uh, Def Leppard's career means to you. So let's chat about Def Leppard in the 21st century then. In very general terms, you could talk about whatever you want here, albums, tours, songs, anything you want, Michael. Okay, What's your general view of Def Leppard's output in the 21st century, so between 2000 and 2021. Okay, I probably have a different perspective compared to most fans because, you know, I was very small when, you know, Def Leppard was at their, you know, in the 90s and all that. So I, I kind of got into Def Leppard, you know, even though I, the first album I listened to was Hysteria, obviously. Um, it was, you know, still at the end of the 90s, so, like, this is, like, right around the time Euphoria was coming out. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and then, but like the first album they put out that I can remember was X, which is considered by the general consensus to be the worst Def Leppard album ever made. Although some people might say that was actually songs for the Sparkle Lounge, but you know that's subject to opinion to each their own. I think I think because I was I was so young when I came, you know and you know those albums came out when I was young. I think I have probably a more favorable opinion. Of those albums compared to most Stuff Leopard fans because, you know, they grew, they were there for, you know, the High and Dry, Pyromania, Hysteria, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever album with uh, Steve or Phil or those first a couple albums with uh, Viv or Tours or whatnot. So, um, obviously, I wasn't around to see them, you know, during their heyday on tour. You know, every tour I've seen them on was on the 21st century, you know, and all, every single show with the exception of... Youngstown, Ohio, which is about 12 miles away from me. But other than um, a Youngstown show plus the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony, because I got to go to that over in New York City, every show uh-huh. I've seen Def Leppard was in Pittsburgh, which is about an hour and a half roughly from where I live. All right, cool. So and then in terms of the albums, then, so obviously the albums that we've got are X or 10, whatever you want to call it. You've got the Yeah album in 2006, which is the covers album. You've got 2008 songs from the Sparkle Lounge. You've got a live album, Mirrorball, in 2011, which does have three original um, tracks on it, like including um, Undefeated, which is probably the most popular one. And then obviously yep. you've got the self-titled album in 2015. 15. Which one of those albums floats you about the most, Michael? Which one of those is, if you're going to put one on now, what what one of those four would you, is it four? One, two, three, yeah, four. Um, what four would uh, you look? Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, personally. Okay, all right. Is there any, any particular songs on that? Um... Bad Actress is probably my favorite one off that off that album. I also love uh, Only the Good Die Young. I, th- I think that's a very underrated Def Leppard track. Mm-hmm. Um, not Nine Lies because I'm I'm actually a, a little bit of a of an American country fan. So so and um, and um, Tim McGraw and along with his wife Faith Hill are, are both big here in the U.S. I don't know how they fare in other country in other countries, but they're like big time here in the U.S. and a little. 
Fun fact, I'm not sure if he still is, but Rick Allen's brother, Robert, was actually their tour manager. All right, it's okay. That is a fun fact. I did not know that. Look, you're adding value to Death Left Pod straight away there, Michael. Okay. <laughs> That's excellent. Okay, so you've got a generally, so you've got like quite a, you know, a fairly favorable view of Death Leopard in the 21st century. So I'm yeah. going to put to you a controversial question. And I, d- I don't want you to feel pressured into answering in any particular way. Okay. Right. Just just follow your heart here, mate. Okay. So can any arguments be made that 21st century Def Leppard is better than or at least as equal to 20th century Def Leppard? In my opinion, a little bit here and there, but overall, I prefer the classic Def Leppard from the 80s and 90s. Okay. So... You say here, here and there a little bit. Where are the little bits for you that maybe get close to the classic Death Leopard of you know of your pyromania, of your high and dry, of your hysteria? Obviously, they're massively elevated. There's a reason they sell so many. There's a reason why if you look at a Death Leopard list that uh, set list today, it's you know it's eighty percent those three albums and in particular pyromania and hysteria but in terms of those little bits here and there that you think might get close what would you how what would you say those bits were like it, it just varies like song to song and how it compares to other songs like i for example i prefer bad actress to um excitable personally even though hysteria in my opinion is the greatest album ever made personally but there are certain you know, but like what I'm saying is, you know, I prefer bad actors to excitable, or you know, or say a four letter word to maybe run riot, but maybe, but like I say, it just it, it just varies on the song, really. You know, even then, it's my my opinion still changes from time to time because sometimes it just depends on my mood. But that's me personally. Yeah. Okay. So I, I take your point. So overall, 20th century Def Leppard better than 21st century Def Leppard. But I suppose if you get down into the granular detail and you start looking at specific songs, then there are going to be some songs from the 21st century that are better than some of the songs in the 20th century. And and in a minute, that's going to lead us on nicely to a little game that we're going to play. Um, So before before we get onto that um, game, I want to ask you the same question, okay? Can any arguments be made that 21st century Def Leppard is better than or at least equal to 20th century Def Leppard? What about if you're not allowed to include high and dry pyromania and hysteria? So that what I'm saying then is does 21st century Def Leppard, which we'll just say X, Sparkle Lounge, self-titled album, um, individual um, new tracks from uh, Mirrorball, how does that compare to when you just look at 20th century Def Leppard and all and we take out the classic albums and then all we're left with is On Through the Night, Adrenalize, Slang, and Euphoria. Does that make it more even or even outside of those classic albums? Do you think that you know what we get in the 80s and 90s is still overall significantly better than what came afterwards. I, I have such bias toward the slang album because, believe it or not, that is actually my second favorite Duff Leopard album. So that alone makes the makes the, the makes the 20th century better than the 21st century for me personally. Even though there's still like a lot of great songs in the 21st century, but I still prefer the, cla- the classic stuff, personally. 
Plus, I also have a, have appreciation for the he- for heavier bands like Metallica, Megadeth, and stuff like that. And and they've cited you know the first uh, two or three Def Leppard albums, especially off of the night, as an influence on them. So you know, I, I give that album a lot more love compared to like other Def Leppard f- fans who are not quote unquote diehard fans. No, that's a good argument. And to be honest, I think I'm in a very similar place to you there, Mike, because I absolutely love the slang album as well. So even when you take away those classic albums and in inverted commas, I'm still left with uh, what's my my third favorite um, Def Leppard album as well. And I absolutely love slang. And I feel like you as well. I like um, a bit of the heavier stuff. And indeed, Mrs. Def Leppard, who's um, downstairs at the moment, um, obviously not involved in this podcast, when she was 14, the very first band she went to see was Sepultura in the Royal Court in Liverpool. And she talks about how she nearly got killed. But luckily, she never got killed. <laughs> and, um, and, and we met. I've actually seen her to take Def Leppard. She's not a Def Leppard fan, but she'll, uh, she'll put up with them. And she did say that they were actually very good live. So um, I'm always trying to um, spread the gospel. Anyway, right, on to this game that we're going to play. So... Interestingly, you've already introduced the idea of this game is let's go song by song and let's compare a couple of songs, a few songs from the 21st century to the 20th century. And we're going to see how many 21st century songs win their individual um, battle. So I'm going to just get my pen and my piece of paper here, Mike, because I'm going to have to keep a record. Right. Okay. So are you ready for this? Ready. Okay. <laughs> Are you excited? Yes, I am. Are you excited even though you've already done this before about three weeks ago? <laughs> hey, there's no problem doing it again. Sometimes it comes out better the second time around, my friend. Okay, excellent. Okay, so the Tennedy's number one 20th century versus 21st century laps. Okay. Which song do you prefer? Wasted from On Through the Night or Scar? from the X album. I got to go Wasted. Don't get me wrong. Scar's a great song on itself, but Wasted is, you know, it's a classic. Okay. Fair enough. What do you think of Scar, the song? No, do you actually like that song? I do. I do, actually. I'll, there's actually, um, if when, I, when my uh, new CD comes out, which uh, which a uh, little self-promotion here, I do I put my, um, I, I do have a CD out, people. If uh, you want to look it up, we'll get to that later. Maybe. No, go on, do it now. Go on, go on. Pl- plug your but, CD. Um, I don't mind. But um, I I actually used like a a, a little influence from uh, the, the guitar solo for for one of my uh, songs from the um from Scar that goes. Yeah, oh, can, can, can you hire your guitar up a bit there, Mike? By the way, everyone, you obviously can't see this. Mike has unexpectedly pulled out of a, a guitar. Well, I'm 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 all for surprise guitars. This is brilliant. Go ahead, Mike. Go on. But uh, that, I, I kind of took that little bit from Scar, put that, and uh, put that as the beginning of a guitar solo for one of the songs I did on my last CD that I just finished recording within the last uh, month and a half. All right, so, so like, excellent. So. Okay, so okay, so wasted is really um, pulling out the stops there because if you like Scar to the extent that you're actually taking little bits of that and use it to influence your own music then you obviously really like Scar, so you must really like Wasted. Okay, so it's 1-0 to the 20th century, Def Leppard. Right, the next one, Bring It On The Heartbreak from High and Dry, or We Belong from the Def Leppard self-titled album. 
We Belong barely beats out Bring On The Heartbreak, simply for the fact that all five guys sing on it. You know, which you never heard that with Death Lover before, so I, I actually quite enjoyed that. It is a unique song in that way. And it's interesting, you know, the Volume 3 box set came out um, recently. So on in that box set, you can hear the version of We Belong. No, sorry, it wasn't in that box set. Somewhere, I can't remember where it is, but somewhere out there, I think it might be on Spotify, there's a version of We Belong. And with it is just Joe singing it. With just Joe singing in it. And I must admit, I do prefer the one in where they're all singing. I've really got used to that sort of version now, and I like the different tones of the voices and everything. So, Oh, yeah, definitely. So we're saying We Belong. You, you're putting that above bringing on the heartbreak, yeah? Barely, barely. Okay, no, that's, that's good. Okay, right. One all. Oh, this is tense. This is tense. Right, next. Photograph of Pyromania. You may have heard of that song, Michael. Or... Come on, come on from the Sparkle songs from the Sparkle Lounge. Photograph, no contest. Okay, right. No contest, no commentary. Doesn't need to be explained. Photograph. I, I fully agree with you, though I do really like Come On, Come On, but oh, I mean, me too. don't get me wrong, great song, but just photograph, you, you it's, it's, it's a classic. Yeah, it's one of the best Steph Leopard songs in it, so it's difficult to compare. I, I can't think of really anything that I could have put up against that, and could it be similar? I'm trying to put similar, similar sounding ish type songs together in terms of whether they're upbeat or, or what have you. So the next one, number four, Animal, off the little known Hysteria album. No one's even heard, of, heard it. of it. Yeah, Never just heard of it. A, a, a deep cut indeed. Okay, <laughs> or. The song that this episode is about, okay, which is now from the X album. Oh, definitely Animal. Is there any conversation to be had around the fact that now could be better at it, better than Animal, or is that just a complete non-starter for you? It, it, there's, there's no debate in my opinion on my end, so I'm, I, it's no contest on that one either, Animal, definitely. Okay, I agree. Next up, so this is number one, two, three, four. Number five. I think there's a conversation to be had around this. You may disagree, so we'll we'll see. Let's get rocked off the Adrenalize album or Undefeated, which is one of the original studio tracks on the Mirrorball album from 2011. Yeah, I agree with you. There, there, it's it's definitely a hard, it's definitely a toss up for me because they're, they're they're both great songs to open with and close and yeah. close with for that matter. So. Uh, I want to have to say personally, let's get rocked by that much because I, I grew up listening to that song and my stepdads jokingly would say that was my theme song. That's fair enough. And I think what you said is completely correct in terms of they are similar in terms of they're both great songs to open a set list with and they're both great songs to um, end a set list with. Now, if I was doing this and I'm not, it's all about you because before we've got to the two steps behind section, people have been listening to me bang on for um, half an hour about Def Leppard. I reckon I'd go for undefeated on this in terms of I love Let's Get Rocked. It's sort of my most nostalgic period of Def Leppard for me because I came in just after, Hyster well, Hysteria was out, but then Adrenalize was the first album that I waited for. And then by the time it came out, I was 14 and I was a bit older. And Let's Get Rocked was the first single 
and it was a massive deal when it first came out. And I remember buying all of the different versions of it. From so from a nostalgia point of view, I absolutely love that song. But I think if I took that nostalgia away and actually just thought, which song do I prefer listening to these days? I'd probably go undefeated. But it's not about me, and we're not going to count me. So we're just scoring you. So the next one, Rock Brigade, <laughs> off the On Through the Nights album, or Wings of an Angel from the self-titled Def Leppard album. No contest, Rock Brigade. Honestly, <laughs> it's right. We're not. We're, we're not falling out. We're not having an argument. But the, the no contest. Tell me why it's no contest, Mike. Because I think I think it's quite close. But why is it no contest? Go on. I'm dead interested to know. Uh, again, it's, it's my appreciation for the, for the he- for the heavier stuff that kind of takes it. Don't, uh, okay, you know, that's yawn. I don't know if I play that completely right, but you get the point. That was good. I like again more surprise guitar. For, obviously, people listening to this can't see what I can see, but Michael's guitar is just below where the bottom of the screen cuts out. So I can actually see your strap. So I, uh, I should have known that you had it on. But give us that again, Mike. Go on. Give us a bit of Rock Brigade again. Huh? In the middle of the night. No, okay, I won't do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit, of a bit of a time delay there, too. So Yeah, that was great. So- I, 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 think, I think I played it right the second time. Uh, that was good. Excellent. <laughs> All right, then. Okay, so we'll go on to the next choice. Let it go off high and dry or four-letter word from X. Don't get me wrong. You know, four-letter word is, is, is a great rocker in itself, but I have to go let it go. That's fine. I will accept that. That's no problem at all. <laughs> all right, then. Okay. And then next we've got... I'm just knocking my mic over there. So next... Okay, we've got Foolin' from the Pyromania album, or we've got Dangerous from the self-titled Def Leppard album. I'm Believe it or not, I am going to have a very, very unpopular opinion about this and say Dangerous. I agree. I agree. I fully agree. Um, why? Go on, tell me, tell me any particular reason why. I, I think to me, um, with a Dangerous, it's probably one of... Um, Rick Allen's best songs in terms of his uh, his uh, drum work. There is a uh, a fill which most people here are not gonna are not gonna know no chord for notes when it comes to music. But uh, there's a drum fill that Rick Allen does um, at the end of the guitar solo going into the um, going into the final chorus. Uh, called a triple uh, or sextuple or sixteen note triplet, you know, which is a which is a very impressive. You know, for any drummer to do, but the fact he's doing that with one arm makes it that much more impressive to me. All right, and where's that? That's just at the end of the solo as it goes back into the song, is it? Yeah. So everybody, go and put your Def Leppard album on. Go and find Dangerous. Listen to the whole song, but particularly at the end of the solo, have a listen out to see if you can hear this um, drum fill that Mike's talking about. One that is so good, it puts it above Foolin. Got a couple there now from the 21st century. Right, next... Really deep cut this. Pour some sugar on me. You've probably never even heard of it, have you, Mike? Don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay, so I, I, I've heard I've heard something about it, but I, I don't know if I know the song personally. Yeah, yeah. It's a very <laughs> it's a very rare song. So pour some sugar on me, obviously, massive hits. Off hysteria. And then I'm putting that up against love, L-O-V-E. I'm just spelling it because of my accent in case that just sounds like a completely different word. So love um from Songs from the Sparkle Lounge. I, I have to go pour some sugar on me. 
no contest, even though, um, although from a guitar player perspective, they're, they're actually in a, in a similar, um, they're actually like in, like in a similar position because, um, yeah, you know, of course, we're going to be play like this. <laughs> But I love is um even though it's actually half step down, obviously, but my guitar is doing a standard tuning, so I was very, very close to getting up and dancing then when you were playing playing pour some sugar on me. But I thought <laughs> I thought, you know, it's, what is it, seven o'clock in the morning there for you now. I thought, you don't want to see an overweight Englishman um, dancing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not this time of day. So what I've done is, is I didn't dance, but I was dancing inside my mind. Okay, right. This is the last one. Make love like a man off Adrenalize. I'm laughing because I hate it. Okay, so <laughs> make love like a man off Adrenalize or man enough off the self-titled Death Leopard album. So I'll give you two man songs there. Um, even though I admit I love both songs, I'm going to go Man Enough because I love that bass line, that, that Queen-influenced bass line there that uh, goes on through Man Enough. Okay, excellent then. Right, so that's all 10 of our um, contests between 20th century and 21st century Def Leppard. Do you want to know what the score was, what the outcome was, Michael? I would like to know that, and I think uh, the fans like to know that as well. Of course they would. Right, okay. So there was... well, if, if they don't want to know it, well, too bad. <laughs> right, okay. So <laughs> ten, 10 songs. You picked seven from the 20th century, and you picked three from the 21st century. And interestingly, the three that you picked from the 21st century are all off the same album, which is We Belong, Dangerous, and Man Enough, okay? So I think that probably tells us quite a bit about what we think of the latest Def Leppard album and how that's sort of a real uh, return to form. So I'm sure that might have caused a bit of controversy or controversy, however you say it in your part of the world. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to that and you you know what our little sort of, our little battles were between the two songs, if there was anything there that you um, agree with, anything there that you disagree with, then, you know, let me know on Twitter at Def Pod or let me know on Facebook, um, Def Pod Neil. Uh, I'll also put on the Spotify, you can put an ask a question where you can you can put your answer in there. So obviously, be kind, be gentle. We're all on the same side here, just having some fun. But let us know what you think of Mike's choices there. Thank you very much for doing that for a second time, Mike, as well. Uh, I'd be interested to know. I can't remember if your choices were the same as what they were last time i've got a feeling that when we did this a few weeks ago there was only two that were off from the 21st century i might be wrong but i think i think you're right on that i could be wrong i mean i because like you know that was a few weeks ago and sometimes my opinion changes as to why i prefer as you know from death lopper you know but hey that's pretty much every death lover fan i imagine you're like eh, well you know i like this song more than this one today but maybe you know down the road i like this one more you know yeah. Well, last time when we did this, you just done a night shift and just got you just ran back quickly from work. While this time you're a little bit more relaxed and whatever, so you, you know you you might be more open to the 21st century. So now it's all good. And you're right. You know this this stuff just changes day to day, um, week to week. Right. One thing that I asked you to do was to put a playlist together of your favorite five songs from the 21st century, um, Def Leppard. So. 
can you just talk us through what your favourite five songs that you would put together on a playlist from the 21st century of Def Leppard would be? And then just give us a little bit on why you chose each one. Um, first and foremost, uh, number one, I would be, I would have to say, um, Bad Actress, because I think I, I love the guitar riff on that song, personally. And then, uh, Dangerous, because I, you know, just because of Rick Allen's drum work on that one. Kiss the Day, because it, it structurally, I don't know if other fans have picked up on this, but to me, structurally, it kind of reminds me of Free Bird by Leonard Skinner. Because how, how most of it's slow and all that, and then it goes into this faster, ripping guitar solo at the end there, like, like a Free Bird does, obviously. Even though obviously, obviously, Kiss the Day is much shorter than Freebird by like four minutes or something like that. I still a great song nonetheless. You know, that's actually a, a bonus track. Or, and um, I think the UK and Japan, guys, it wasn't officially released here in the US until they put out the the box set. Yeah, and and that's a strange one because, I mean, obviously everyone has different opinions about what Def Leppard songs are best and what have you, and certainly off a particular album. But if you look on Twitter, if you look on Facebook, you know, if you're in any like Def Leppard groups, if you, you know, if you're on that Rock Brigade um, forum, which is really good and I would recommend them, by the way, in all of those Def Leppard communities, you will see a lot of love for um, Kiss Today. And it's strange, and I think there's a general feeling that it's, it's certainly, oh, here we go, here we go, are you playing it? Yep, they have the intro there. Go play it again. Love it. Thank you very much. It immerses us in the, in the mood. That song is a really popular song. And I would say if you, I don't know, you took a sample of 100 people and asked them to say, maybe name the top two, three, four songs on that album then I think that would be in there for a lot of people. And it is really strange that it was just a bonus track when it's so highly regarded. So it does show sometimes that, like, you know, maybe when they're putting these albums together, can't see the wood for the trees a little bit in terms of what are the really key and best songs and what happens. So excellent. I love Kiss Today as well. It's a great song. What would your fourth track be? Probably Nine Lives from Sons of the Sparkle Lounge. Because I love that guitar riff. Mainly, and plus, I'm a little bit of a Tim McGraw fan. And um, last one, I would probably say We Belong. So a lot of I have a lot of love for those last two Def Leppard albums that were put out, as you can, as you picked up on. Kicks in with Bad Actress, of Songs for the Sparkle Lounge. Then you've got like your sort of mid-paced poppy type song with Dangerous at number two. Then you've got Kiss Today, which, as he says, goes through a lot of different moods and a lot of different um, tempos. Got nine live, nine lives with the country influence in terms of Tim McGraw, and then we finish off nice and smooth with uh, "We Belong" off the self-titled album. That's a good playlist, Michael. I like that. Yep, I just don't know what order I would put it in um, personally, but hey, to be strong as to how they would do that, they're all good songs. It doesn't matter where you put them. Exactly. You know, one good song is going to follow another good song. We'll bring our. Discussion on the 21st century Def Leppard to a close. So, so far, what we've obviously talked about is we've had like a good little review of songs, albums, and things that Def Leppard have already done in the 21st century. Good news is Def Leppard are obviously still alive and kicking. Um, there's been lots of interviews over the last few months, and there's been some talk of there is new material being written. Rick Allen the other day said we should hear something in the not-too-distant future. However, he did say that about six months ago, and Def Leppard timeframes are all over the place, so that, that could mean three <laughs> years. That could mean three years, so I, I have no idea what it means. 
my question to you, just to finish off, Michael, is what do you hope to see from Def Leppard in the rest of the 21st century for however long they carry on? I hope they they put out at least one more album, maybe a few, maybe um, maybe an EP here and there, you know, just to keep uh, keep us uh, diehard fans happy with a new album of uh, brand new material or brand new uh, material in general. But how much longer do you think they've got left, Mike? So I think that they're all in the sort of well, I think they're all in the early sixties now. I think Phil's in his mid sixties, and yeah, he'll be sixty four here next week. Oh, right. Oh, he's all over the birthdays here, Mike. Well done. Facts. And um, I would imagine that being the case then that Rick, uh, Rick must still be in his 50s, his late 50s, or yeah, if he, he is six. He just turned 58 last month. Oh, there you go. Oh, excellent. You'd be good in my work. So sorted out all the birthday cards for people in the team. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you email my manager to complain about um, <laughs> me failing to record, if you want to offer to sort out um, birthday cards, uh, that. that <laughs> That'd be fantastic. So anyway, <laughs> how much longer do you think they've got then, do you reckon? I I, I want to say at least 10 to 15 years, believe it or not. Yeah, let's hope so, definitely. Listen, I'm going to let you go to bed, Michael. Um, and then I suppose I better crack on with my, my real job. But for the second time, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your um, time today. I'm sure everyone would have really enjoyed your um, contributions there. So until we speak again, thank you very much, Michael. No problem. My pleasure, Neil. Talk to you soon.